Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome. Thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, we're uh, so blessed to have so many creative and, and brilliant guests and great concepts. And our next guest is going to help us to talk about building a culture of health. And his name is Steve Shevariah. And we're going to talk about how you can uh, improve the health and productivity of your employees. Now, it's so important these days to keep your employees healthy, uh, coming to work productively, and uh, really helping to grow your business. So, Steve, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's a fascinating concept, Steve, that you're talking about. Tell us a little bit about you, and is it Pensalis Consulting? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, my name's Steve, and it's pronounced Cheveria. My, my background is I, I'm an athletic trainer, physical therapist by trade, and I really started in the, the life of reactive medicine, which was sports therapy, helping athletes to recover from injury. Um, I was fortunate enough to work in high-level athletics where I was in phenomenal culture settings. Um, these people wanted to win. They, they knew what success was. And then I, I moved from Colorado out to central Pennsylvania. And through that transition, I went into more of a blue-collar workforce doing on-site rehabilitation. Great experience, but not as motivated as the athletes that I typically was working with. And these people just wanted somebody to talk to, listen to, work with them, care about them. And I spent a lot of more time out in the workforce working with these individuals, really kind of understanding them and their needs, and then focusing on what now became wellness coaching in the workplace. It wasn't just about their injuries. It was about their lifestyle, their behaviors, their habits. And from that transition, really what we found was we could help an individual and as soon as that individual would understand their, their culture or their uh, personal needs, we would re reinsert them back into the culture that manifests the poor behaviors, and they would revert right back. So they really never had a fighting chance of success. So Pensalis was born out of this idea of how do we really surround people with the best conditions to help them be successful in whatever they're trying to accomplish. It could be lifestyle, personal goals, health goals, business goals. It was just really kind of finding the best culture for these individuals to uh, flourish in. So that sounds very interesting, and it makes a lot of sense. You you basically have to discover what someone's uh, culture is now and then uh, determine what changes, what habits to break and what habits to make, it sounds like. Absolutely. And how do you how do you start to do that with an individual? Is it is beginning with an analysis and a kind of discussion about what, what they're all about now, where they've come from, or how, how deep do you have to get with that? Uh, Bill, it's it's pretty extensive. What we try to do is <clears throat> we go into an organization and we spend probably the first 90 days doing a deep dive discovery with the, the organization, the people, the management, the leadership, and really trying to uncover the best values, purpose, and beliefs of every individual there. Um, we do that in a couple of different means. We do surveys, and we'll interview uh, specific focus groups of the population. We'll sit down, interview the executives, 
And what we find is every level of the organization has a different goal, a different vision, and a different purpose. And so it almost makes it very difficult to really pinpoint one method of engagement. And our tactics have been utilized by a number of marketing firms out there, but marketing is for product. This is more for wellness. How do we really take care of our people, their health, and our business? And so leveraging all that information, sometimes we'll look at claims data, sometimes we'll look at outcomes, but most of the time we're just trying to understand what emotionally clicks with these people. We develop then communications and then surround them with the right type of environment that's going to stimulate them in a way that really motivates them to do things on their own. So they're really not forced to participate in health. It's just something that naturally happens within that environment. That makes sense because one one of the things I was thinking uh, is that obviously the key to change is to want to change, and so you yeah. have to first of all find out you know is someone willing to you know there's nothing worse than someone who's uncoachable who doesn't want to be coached. Uh, you, everybody's wasting their time, and the other thing is the tremendous amount, for instance, for dietary and exercise is the family involvement and support of each of the individuals. Because if they Absolutely. if they do something at work and they bring it home and they go oh th- that's great that's great here have another plate of uh, you know whatever <laughs> you know what I mean everybody has to get involved with this so does this trans this sounds like this could transform entire families and do a lot of good uh, for for an entire family if you get it right absolutely and i think you're right on if you don't have the support to help you accomplish your goals you're never going to succeed and one of the failures i've seen in our industry right now is they really ask people are you ready to change and most people will tell you that they're they want to change they're not ready and so as an as a industry we typically just stand on the sideline and wait and we say when they're ready they'll come to us and if we continue to wait our population is only going to get worse so we have to find a way to stimulate them in, in a way that's important to them, um, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of our process. <laughs> but co- coming back to the infrastructure, you have to get that support mechanism in place. I see it a lot of times where people at work will quit smoking, but they have a spouse at home who continues, and mm-hmm. they revert right back, usually after an incentive is accomplished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it would seem to me that – you have a couple things in your favor here. One of them is the the concept of peer pressure, where if employees <laughs> if employees together say we're all going to quit, you know, the first one reminds me of the Seinfeld episode, but uh, uh, if we're all going to quit, the first one to 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 you know get fall off uh, or the last one to fall off wins some kind of an incentive. Uh, it seems like that would be an important factor. Does that does that come into play a lot? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you an example. Um, In one of the organizations, uh, we were doing a tobacco cessation program. And again, those are good for the people that are ready to quit. But if you're not ready, you really need that peer support. And we, we took them through kind of a little exercise, which was to understand how much money they were spending on cigarettes. And there was six of them. And we said, okay, you're spending, on average, almost $2,500 a year on cigarettes. And we asked them, was that a lot? Of course, they said yes. And we said, if you had that $2,500 at the end of a year, what would you do with it? And they all wrote down on a piece of paper what their goals and vision was if they had that money. And they said, you know, vacations, cruises, buy this, buy that, go here. And we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Every week, instead of buying a pack of cigarettes, we're going to ask you to put $30 in your little pot, and at the end of this, if the money's still there, you guys get it, and you can go do your little um, goal. The way that you keep the money in is all of you, 
all six of you have to maintain tobacco-free for one year. And it was extreme peer pressure. And we said if one person falls off, we take whatever money is there and we donate it to charity. So we'll talk to the previous speaker. And at the end of the year, not a single person fell off the wagon because they knew that those other five people were so dependent on them being successful. They did it together and accomplished their goal. That's great. That's a great result. And that's sometimes that's what it takes. And, you know, some of the, obviously, the more uh, visible support groups, like let's take AA, for example, that helps people do something very difficult, which is to stop drinking. They rely on the ability to have daily support uh, one day at a time. And you can go to check in with people if you're feeling a little difficult about that. Um, Now, how does, how do you, relate to a group like that and and compare that to what you're doing here, which isn't stopping drinking, but it's changing cultures and and requires check-in and support. It's exactly the same. Whether it's alcohol, tobacco, or food, quite frankly, they're all addictive substances that we need support and need to be stimulated in the right way to make the right decisions. You know, I find it funny. You go to like an Alcoholic Anonymous meeting they're not giving out alcohol. But if you go to a biggest loser competition, you're being treated to a pizza party to celebrate success. And our culture mm. is built on food and reward. And we need to get away from that or reward ourselves the right way. <clears throat> Excuse me. We absolutely do because what you're talking about accomplishing here, if you think 20 years down the road, is creating um, healthy adults from from healthier children. We're, we're really poisoning our uh, our, our next generation a lot by making making uh, unhealthy choices and foods and lack of exercise uh, a norm and it's really it's really a problem that's got to stop. So starting at the workplace helps. How does this? Let's talk about the bottom line for how this helps a company. What are some of the statistics that you know about uh, healthy? You know, helping workers get healthier. Great question. What I've seen is a lot of organizations that are self-insured and self-insured is an organization that takes on the own liabil- their own liability and own risk regarding their costs. They typically reap the greatest benefits. Um, with regards to health insurance, what happens is when an employee goes and utilizes the healthcare system, um, whether it's acute or chronic, they're incurring a charge and that charge gets pa- charged back to the organization. If you can minimize utilization, you can reduce, obviously, uh, the amount of cost. We want to encourage people to be very proactive in their health and go to what we call preventative health care. When we get out of that and go to reactive health care, that's when it gets to become very expensive. And we also find that there's not a lot of good consumerism out there because a lot of people have not really been accountable for their own expense of health care until recently, probably in the last 10 years. And so we're just slowly starting to see that as people become better consumers, that businesses are reaping those benefits. So we do a lot of education on trying to get people to utilize the healthcare system the right way with the right amount of cost. The other problem is in a fully insured plan, companies are putting out wellness programs to try to save money. And what I have found, insurance carriers are not willing to help. I've seen organizations that have reduced their utilization by over 70%. They've reduced their employees' risk status from high risk to low risk. They've had no issues, but yet they had a premature birth or they've had different events that have occurred that were not lifestyle-driven. And the insurance carrier 
jacked up their rates anywhere between 30 to 60%. So employers have to really look at this as a way to do the right thing for their employees, but also do the right thing for their business. Because if we just look at healthcare costs, it's not enough. So the other measures that we look at are how is it affecting the absenteeism? How is it affecting productivity if you're in a manufacturing setting? What's the turnover rate? Why do people leave? Are they happy? Are they dissatisfied? What's the morale like? And those are all measurable numbers that we can put on paper and show organizational leaders that you can actually grow a business and be more sustainable and have better success when your people are happier, healthier, more productive. Makes a lot of sense. You know, and you mentioned something in there about uh, wellness programs. And, of course, there are traditional kind of wellness programs out there. How does your um, how does what you're offering differ from, you know, you, we're talking about changing the culture. But how, do, how does that differ from a traditional wellness program? Well, traditional wellness programs are just that. I call programs a very short initiative that has very low participation unless it's highly incentivized. And the higher the incentive, you're obviously going to reach a tipping point. And for example, we talked about the biggest loser programs that are out there. When companies do those, you see individuals lose weight and it's the same person year after year. And as soon as that program is over, they typically gain that weight back. Our initiatives are really built on, again, sustainability. How do you get everyone to support this initiative and make, make it a behavior change. And so although it might be a standard wellness program, it's going to be a lot different. And an example I'd like to share is we had an organization, global organization. They have 16,000 people globally. In one location, they have 1,600 employees, and their average participation rate was about 15%. Mm -hmm. They asked us to come in and do an engagement initiative, and we started with our discovery process. In that process, what we identified was wellness was not a priority. On a scale of one to three, it was about a 10. The number one priority for that organization was safety. And the only way people were going to ever hear anything or understand it or care to act on it was if it had the word safety in front of it. So what we ended up putting together for that organization was a safety walks program. We made every employee accountable to really go around the facility and look for hazards within their environment. And we asked them to just try to walk two to 3,000 steps each day looking for these hazards. It was something that they already did, but they only did it once a quarter. It wasn't really a priority. And in changing this type of culture, we also said, here's what we're going to give you is a Fitbit to track this, these steps that you're taking every day. And every day you're going to get feedback from our monitored system. And what it encouraged was more competition. More people wanted to walk more because they wanted to beat their counterparts all for a banner. That was it. They wanted their name on a banner that hung over the entrance to their doorway that mm -hmm. said how many steps they've walked or how great they were. And where the cultural adaptation occurs is it wasn't just that, is we went into their cafeteria and instead of really having calories on foods, we changed them all to steps. So a hamburger might be 8,000 steps, a salad might be 200 steps, but it starts to speak in a way that employees actually understood what the content or the fuel and the food was and they could then still make the decision and what we find people are starting to make healthier decisions because they understand it more that's brilliant <laughs> you really changed the currency of, of what they you know were counting uh by changing it to steps and then by putting purpose and meaning behind those steps where they were actually improving the safety of the company it all came together that, that's fantastic great idea so by by looking at the the overall not just saying well we're going to tell people to eat more salad and, and improve the cafeteria, you put a meaning and a purpose to the whole program. Absolutely. Great idea. 
So what types of companies do you look for when you're when you're uh, looking for a new company to work with? I, I want to look for the underdog. I want to find the company that's struggling to engage their culture. We've had some of the darkest cultures in, in our um, wheelhouse, but mostly populations from 50 to 500 lives, self-insured organizations that really want to make a change. We work with small to mid-sized organizations. Again, Local, small mom and pop, all the way to global organization. Okay, so all types and sizes, basically. But people that that, what should they, you know, if a CEO is listening and saying, let me let me think about what if my company needs this kind of a change. What would be some of the indicators that they should that they should get involved with this? First thing, healthcare cost is the number one rising cost in any business right now. As a CEO, if you feel that it's out of control and that the days of cost shifting are kind of over, that's the first indicator. The second is, what does our culture look like? When I walk in the door, how does it feel? Is it somewhere I want to be? If it's not, it should call us. Third thing is, how do my people respond? And one of the things that I was going to include in this was the first thing that anyone can do in their organization Go out and talk to their people. Listen to them. And the reason why we have our jobs are most organizations won't do that. They don't know how to talk to their employees or listen to them in a meaningful way that where they remove their bias from their conversation. Ask people what they want, and they'll be very upfront and tell you, and then give it to them. Excellent stuff. Steve Cheveria from Consolas Consulting. Steve, how do people get in touch with you best? Well, Bill, the best way is go to our website, www.consolas.com. S-A-L-U-S dot com. You can send us an email at makewellnesswork at pensalis.com. I'll send you a white paper with more tips and tricks and just some other suggestions, ways to adapt your culture. The one thing that I want to remind everyone is our examples are what works for their organizations, not for yours. Best practices are best only in that certain setting. Your situation may be different. Ask us how we can help. Great information. I really appreciate you coming on to the show and enlightening us to to how you help make a difference, Steve. Thanks very much. Hope we can uh, check in at some point down in the future and find out uh, how you're how you're helping and uh, and get deeper on the topic. So thanks very much again, Bill. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. We'll be right back after this message. So please stay with us. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. You're listening to ExitCoachRadio.com, the information station for age 50-plus business owners, where we're interviewing top advisors for their best tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new one-minute tips every day. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 